Hello and welcome to the Questions of Life podcast. I'm Kath, I'm here with Donald. Hello. In our conversation today, we are talking about how do we explain suffering. Enjoy our discussions. So Donald, we're talking about how do we explain suffering. And I think this is a huge subject. This is something that many people, those that have faith, those that are interested in exploring faith, those that have no faith, something that everybody is familiar with and everybody struggles with. And there's lots of different suffering that goes on in our world. There's personal suffering. So it could be sickness to us or to a loved one. It could be uh, money issues could be a whole host of things that we could put into that bracket, things that we personally are affected by. There's also suffering that goes on further afield that maybe doesn't affect us in the same way, but we look out and we think, oh my life, our world is in a mess. Whether it's war, whether it's oppression, whether it's starvation, whether it's a whole host of other things. There are so many difficulties that people are facing themselves or they see other people facing. And I think it, it raises up a load of questions for people as they look out. And I think one of the questions is always leveled against God. If God is a God of love, then why does he allow there to be so much suffering in our world? And what we want to do tonight is we're going to explore a little bit about what suffering is. And we've talked about this in previous sessions. But we want to get really practical tonight. So we want to begin to look at how can I begin to talk to somebody else about this whole area of suffering from a faith perspective, but also from a perspective where if they are struggling, I can help them. I, I can kind of be Jesus to them and be uh, really, really helpful. This whole subject is something that's very, very close to my heart. And I've shared this story on numerous occasions before, but when I first became a Christian, really excited, really going for it with God, uh, fantastic, my whole life would be transformed. And the first thing I wanted to do was to tell everyone. I, I uh, met up with my, my best mate, Nina. We went out uh, for a drink in the pub and I said, I've got this amazing news to tell you. And I told her this news and I thought she's going to become a Christian. Why wouldn't she? This is just a no-brainer. And uh, she listened. And then her response was, yes, but. And I hate that when people say, yes, but. Uh, uh, what about all the children that are dying around the world? What about starvation? And I completely messed up that whole discussion. It was an opportunity for us to talk about something that was very close to her heart. Turned into an argument. I stormed out and told her where to stick it. It was the worst piece of evangelism I've ever done in my life. I needed this talk before I did that. And I think for many people, they're just a little bit scared and uneasy. Well, how do we begin to talk about this whole subject? So, your first question is an interesting one. Because you say, when people first ask us about suffering, what should we do? Is the inference from that that we wait for somebody else to ask us? Or are we able to be proactive and to speak into situations that people are facing? That is your first question. Gosh, um, <laughs> that wasn't the question I was expecting. Um, so I think that suffering is the big issue for most people. And I, like you, have made loads and loads of mistakes. And undoubtedly, 
This question has been asked of me more than any other question. Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow suffering? I have been, when I used to be a youth worker, all the time by young people, all the time in schools. Um, I've done Alpha for many, many years, every time. Why does God allow suffering? So much so that we put a talk into Alpha that wasn't there. Why does God allow suffering? What I've learned is that that question has a lot of different meanings in the way people are asking it. In other words, some people might not actually want the answer. They're, they're using that question to say something else. And I think, in answer to your question, we have to be incredibly sensitive. And there is a time for people to talk and a time for people to listen. And there's a time when answers are not what people want or need. Particularly as a man, you know, we think we've got to fix everything. We think we've got to come up with the solution. And we've got to come up with the logical, rational explanation. But lots of us are not thinking logically or rationally all the time, and particularly during suffering. So I have learned to try, the first time somebody says, why does God allow suffering, is to try and step back and try and understand why they've asked that question. So the first answer to the question, why does God allow suffering, is to listen. And I think the first question about any form of evangelism is to listen. It's not to go two-footed in with our pre-prepared answer that we've learned somewhere that we think is the answer to the questions we think they ought to have. We're not politicians. We're human beings. We're made uh, in relation, to be in relationship with people. And I think the most important way of expressing our faith is to demonstrate the love of God. And to demonstrate the love of God, we have to listen. We have to treat people as individuals who are unique, who have a particular story and a particular reason as to why they might be asking the question of suffering. There's a little bit, this is slightly tangential, but there's a little bit in, in James, uh, the book of James in the New Testament, where basically he says there's no point telling people about faith and looking after them, because if they're hungry, you need to give them food. Uh, and there's no point just saying, go and look up, you know, find faith or whatever. I'm, I'm paraphrasing it. But the, the, it's clear that words need to, are heard when they're in the context of a life of love and care and compassion. And words are not heard or understood or received when they are separated from compassion. So the first thing I would say, if, if you said to me, how do I explain suffering? The first thing I'd say is listen. Mm -hmm. Don't talk. Find out what is going, why is a person asking that question? And there will tend to be three or four different broad reasons why a person asks that question. It may be that philosophically, theoretically, they cannot understand the problem of suffering. In which case, there are some things that you can say that are theoretical and philosophical. That's fine. But but I most think people aren't asking for that reason. They're not. But just in response to what you said, I do think there is a place for us having thought through, alongside the way that we act, 
some of the questions to do with suffering, some of the questions that Absolutely. people are going to ask us. So, I, you know, the Bible talks about us being prepared to give an answer. So absolutely, we have to live the life and share the love of Jesus beyond any measure of doubt. That's where the conversation has to come from. But in that situation, I do think there's a responsibility on us to be thinking about what might my answer be. Not that I've got a little script, but not so that you don't like me storm off swearing at somebody because you've got no clue how to answer it. Yeah, but the answer will be different depending on the context. So I'm saying if it's a philosophical discussion that is not yes. necessarily about an individual, then there are things that we can help people begin to yes. understand and speak into that. And we may get on to that tonight. If we don't, we've done that in previous questions of life. But most people who've asked me aren't looking for that. No. Some, the most common thing, well, what you have to ask, if that's, that's one maybe, there is then the person who is deeply concerned for somebody else. Mm -hmm. So they themselves are not suffering, mm -hmm. but they have seen somebody else suffer and they can't equate or understand that. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a second situation. Then there is a person who has suffered in the past and their prayers weren't answered. Mm -hmm. They asked God to save them or stop something happening and it di it, he didn't in their eyes. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what they're feeling is an anger which is, looks like disbelief. Mm -hmm. But actually anger is part of an expression of belief. Mm -hmm. So why, God, have you allowed this? And that needs a whole different set of answers. And then there's a fourth group who will be asking that question because right now in, they're in the midst of something. Mm. Something is going on right now. They have had a diagnosis or a loved one has had a diagnosis or their job is, is under pressure or something is going on that's right now a problem. And probably what they are really wanting to do is to talk about it. Mm. And they've got all these thoughts pressured in their mind. And it's hard to say, please, will you listen to me? Mm -hmm. But it's easy to say, why does God allow suffering? Mm -hmm. Because that's like an expected phrase to say. It's much harder to say, I'm really struggling and I need to talk. I really need to offload. I need someone to hear my cry. And I've learned that sometimes people ask me why God allows suffering. And really, if you put subtitles underneath it, it would be, please let me talk. Please let me tell you what's going on now. So that would be my first thing, is to ask some more questions, is to say, okay, uh, that's a really important question. That's a really significant question. And it's a question that we really need to grapple with. What's causing you to ask that now? What, what's go, what, what are you thinking of when you think of suffering now? And again, sometimes people, the first thing they say is not the thing they really want to say. I don't know if, we've, if folks have encountered that, but mm -hmm. I've learned that over the years. That people will say, this, the first thing they'll say is the thing that they feel the safest to say. Mm -hmm. So they'll say, well, there's the earthquakes and the tsunamis. How does God allow that? And if you pause a little bit longer, they then may say, and my mum, or and my neighbour, and that's the really 
significant parts. And if we just jump in with, I've got an answer for tsunamis, I've got an answer for the earthquake, then the discussion isn't really where they need to be. It's just where we wanted it to be. But I think as well, if you take me, I find it, I used to find it very difficult to open up and to talk about some of the areas that I've suffered in my life. And so what I would do, I would kind of test the person that I was sharing with. So I would ask an objective question and I would see how you answered it. Mm. And then I'd go a little bit further and see if I could trust you with that. And are you someone that I think is listening to me? Are you someone that cares? Or are you going to give me just a, a rote answer that, you know, everybody gives me? So I think, it, I think you're right that there are times when you pause, but there are also times when you've got people like me I need to know that you're genuine and you're sincere. How are you going to answer a question here, which we're then going to get me to hear? Because mm. to get me to hear requires a lot of trust mm. and time mm. as well. Mm. So it may be that you have to answer that question to get me to the next question, to get me to what about me. Mm. And so if we've listened, yeah. see what I would want to say is and I did a whole series recently in John's Gospel about this. The question why we know is a natural part of the grieving process. And you can grieve beyond the bereavement. It can be any sense of something going wrong. Mm -hmm. Asking the question why is a, is a natural, can't be bypassed. It has to be a process that people go through. But what really is the the most significant question is what is God going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And so part of our answer to the question, why does God allow suffering, is a little bit of trying to move people through that question to a much more significant question is what is God going to do about your suffering? And for people who are right in the middle of suffering, what is God going to do is very often linked to what are we as people listening going to do in other words we model that response so when we give a person value when we allow them to cry when we empathize and we say that that sounds really difficult and painful uh, when we say can I pray about that for you because mm -hmm. that sounds really such a shocking and difficult and an unjust experience when we show people that we are listening and hearing their pain we are enacting what God is doing first. Mm -hmm. And that God wants to draw alongside and put his arms around people who are suffering. Mm -hmm. And it's no point me saying to somebody, the first thing I want to say is that God really cares about your suffering and wants to put his arms around you. If by my manner and by my attitude, I am displaying, I don't want to talk about you, I want to talk about my answer. So we... we with the person who's right in the midst of suffering, we display the answer. We're saying God cares. And the way you know God cares is I care. And I genuinely care. I want to know how you are. I want to know how you feel. And I want to express to you my weeping with you. When you go and visit, which I've had to do on, on, on occasions, people immediately after a bereavement an unexpected bereavement. You go and sit with someone, they've just heard the news that someone they loved has died unexpectedly. They will very typically say, why did that happen? 
because they don't actually want anybody to say anything. And if you listen to people who, who talk about that experience, what they will I say they found helpful is people came and sat with them. People came and cried with them. People came and made a cup of tea and said, I'm going to stay the night here. I'm going to be here with you. So that's why I think the first thing to do is to try and establish what is the cause and is the first thing for us to do to say, I'm going to, in, not for us to say, but for us to demonstrate what God is doing, which is to, is to, to bring his care and his compassion. Um, so that's where the thing is immediate. So maybe you listen and you think, okay, it's not right happening now. It's an unanswered prayer. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, I prayed for this situation 20 years ago and I really believed at that point and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and they still died. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you, you've got to draw that out. That needs to be expressed. And I think I would, I would want to say that's really difficult. And I wouldn't want to give an answer mm-hmm. as to why a person's prayer wasn't answered because I don't know that answer. There are lots of possibilities, but I don't know. And I don't actually think I can defend, if you like, God on that. That's... But what I would want to steer around, again, is to this question, what does God do? And I would want to begin to point people towards him wanting to repair wanting to restore that loss, wanting to heal that pain. And I will talk about that in this life, that God doesn't want people to stay in a place of grief or anger or loss, that he wants to gently help people move through. But I would also want to talk about what God is going to do in the future, about the opportunity for there to be eternal life with him and for there to be no more suffering. And so my big thing is, is the why, I would have to say, I can't fully explain why your particular, your specific thing happened. Why does somebody, one person gets healed and another person doesn't? I don't think that's something I can answer. But I do believe that God will bring a healing. And, you know, one of my favourite quotes, which we use a lot, is that earth has no... Um, hurt that heaven cannot heal and in time God restores all of these things and the the, the things that make us angry in this world make God angry and that's why we have heaven that's why there is this life to put things right and the opportunity and the invitation for us to go there and to receive Christ so I mean and this links into the philosophical I would want to be talking more about the healing of hurt than the explanation of it and how I'd want to encourage that person to express that to God or to continue to express that to God. And what, again, we did something in one of our early questions of life about really arguing with God. What I've learned is Mm -hmm. that when we say to God how angry we are with him and we see this modeled in in the Bible, that's when he can bring transformation and healing. 
that when we get it out, and that's part of the reason of saying in suffering, let's listen, let's get it out, let's get it expressed. And so I would be wanting to say to people who are really angry with God, tell him, tell him how angry you are. And it's not for me to change your mind, but in the process of you doing that, you will find that he brings a healing to that. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not for me to ever tell someone not to be angry with God. It's more for me to say, you tell him, because that's where the, the healing can come. So we're not trying to answer everybody's questions. We're trying to help them to connect with God. Yeah. Bottom line is we can't heal them. We can journey with them. The only place that they're going to find strength and hope, healing and help in this lifetime and the next is through God. Yeah. And so that's our ultimate goal. Now that takes time. So all of this you're talking about isn't one conversation. I don't think you're going to get someone from here to here. It is something that, that I think develops and grows over time and I would encourage people not to think I've got to get someone from here to here in this one moment that they've begun to open up now if God leads in such a manner then great yeah. you walk in the way that God leads and I think a lot of this during it if I'm talking to somebody about how they're feeling I'm praying Holy Spirit lead me help me to know when to speak help me to know when to listen help me to know what to say when you want me to speak and how to respond oh, I don't want it to be me I want it to be God at work through me like you're talking about but I think quite often to get someone to a place where they can begin to connect with God and see past their hurt and past their anger God why did you let this person die why did you let me down that's the little process I think Absolutely. that we help people go through this isn't one conversation we're talking about mm. and, and I, I, I need to, to just to say again when I was younger in Christian ministry I was good at this answer the philosophical bit mm -hmm. I, I've nailed I could answer mm -hmm. that in a school all the time every time you go into school why does God allow suffering mm -hmm. I could answer it really well I never saw anybody become a Christian mm. didn't make anybody become a Christian mm. I've never met anyone who says the reason I became a Christian is because somebody explained suffering to me. Mm. I've met far more people who say the reason I became a Christian is that somebody cared for me when I was suffering. Absolutely. Millions of them, not millions, but you know, mm. loads of people would say that's mm. my experience. Mm. So I had in my mind that I had to convince them of the answer. And, and it, there is a place for this. The philosophical is more from the Christians that doubt mm. than the, than the non-Christian is asking mm. in the main, but not always. But, and we'll come to the philosophical bits. What we're hearing is that we need to be incredibly cautious is the wrong word, but handled with care. These are precious people. These are people that are hurt and are damaged. And we don't want to add to that. Mm. I know of far too many people who not through this church but through other situations haven't been helped as well as they could have been mm. in their pain and in their difficulty so it is a gently gently handle with care do so in the power of the holy spirit because these are precious people mm. and if they're precious to us how more precious are they to god mm. and god's aim with these people is to heal is to restore is to redeem their lives and to to meet with them so we're talking about listening and we're talking about encouraging people in different ways to be able to be free to share what's really going on, digging beneath the surface. Now, one of the things that some people do is to say, oh, 
I've had this experience, or that happened to me, or I know somebody. How helpful is that in the conversation if you bring up, well, let me tell you what I've been through and I've suffered and this has happened. At any point, is, is that helpful? I was always taught that it's never helpful. I'd want to revisit to uh, modify that answer slightly. It's never helpful when we're listening to somebody else for us to tell them, offload what we feel. That is really never helpful. It is never helpful to say, I know exactly what you are going through because I went through. We don't know exactly. And one of the phrases we've heard a lot in the last two years, I think, has come out in lots of different places, is we may all be in the same storm, but we are all in different boats. Mm -hmm. And let's take a bereavement. A bereavement, every bereavement is unique because of the dynamics of the relationship. So I've, I've lost two very good friends in accidents and I lost my dad. That doesn't mean I understand how everybody else feels who've lost their friends in car accidents. And it doesn't mean I understand how everybody else who's lost their dad feels. Every situation is unique and different. So it's really dangerous when we say, I, because I've been through exactly the same, I understand you. That, that really is unhelpful. The only small caveat I would say is that one thing that isolates people is, that, is if they feel I'm the only person mm -hmm. that ever feels this or I'm the only person that's ever gone through this. So to that extent, I think in a limited, not taking the whole conversation, but in a limited way, I think it is helpful to say, I've come across that before. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt something very similar mm -hmm. or my situation was completely different, but I had feelings like that. Mm -hmm. I think that's quite helpful. So it's just getting it really careful how you, because it's very isolating if you're talking to somebody and you think nobody else, under, nobody else has been through anything like this. So you want to somehow convey that people have been through something like that, mm -hmm. but it's still different. Mm -hmm. So there's a middle, middle way, I think. One of the things I find helpful at some of the things that I've been through isn't necessarily to always share it, but it informs my prayers. Mm. So having lost someone very suddenly, it will be different for other people, but I kind of can feel again that shock, that disbelief, that phone call, everything else. So if I hear somebody's lost someone suddenly, then I know, right, I'm going to just pray into these things because I've just got a sense of, I wouldn't tell them necessarily and I wouldn't say, well, let me tell you about my experience. But I think you're right as well that there's sometimes it is good to share a bit about us. Mm. And I think sometimes that's in the, if we've struggled to work God out in it, because they may struggle to work God out in it, but then we can talk about how actually we did get there in the end, that our journey might be different. Because you're right, people think I'm the only one going through this, I'm a freak, should I have my life sorted? You know, this shouldn't be bothering me years later. Um, and for me, it didn't dawn on me how much I needed to work through until it all began to come to the surface. And then you just think, oh, this is overwhelming. Surely nobody else is as weird as I am. And you have to affirm and encourage and make people feel, no, you are not weird. This is a perfectly normal response to a very difficult situation that you or someone else has, has been through. So it's a balancing act, isn't mm. it? It is. And yeah, it is. And it's, I've made loads and loads of mistakes over the years in it, I'm sure. You're trying 
you're trying to to bring God's care and compassion mm. and that is important that they don't feel alone but it's also important that they don't feel misunderstood so you're trying to balance those two things mm. so we're listening we're in conversation what else would you throw into the mix I, I really want to just emphasize that thing about praying for someone yep. and telling them we're praying for them mm-hmm. I think it's so powerful and so and and, and I mean, I passionately believe that our prayers change situations. They change the atmosphere. They change the dynamic. Mm. Uh, and and so just saying, well, can, I'm going to pray about that. Mm. It may be that it's, like, it's something you say, look, our church has a prayer list. Could we mm-hmm. put that on and pray for that as a church? Um, that may not be appropriate, but it might be. But just really reaching out and, and saying, I want to bring God into this because mm-hmm. he can answer your questions better than me. And that's not mm-hmm. what you say, but that's what you actually are doing. So, we, so I think praying is really important. Mm. Um, and then just focusing on, on, on trying to help people to see where God might be taking them, what he can mm-hmm. be doing, what he's doing about it, whether he's bringing strength, whether he's bringing comfort, whether he's bringing peace, and trying to help people see that or experience it or know that that's that's going on if we move forward to to people who are not immediately suffering is that is that where we should go next yeah i was going to just throw in one story about prayer i i think we underestimate the power of prayer we underestimate the prayer that we do without anybody knowing we underestimate the prayer that we when we gather the church to pray how significant it is like all of the people we have in our weekly email uh, you see lots of different people just so thankful and uh, seeing God at work. I know of one lady who's got uh, a leukemia who we've been praying for a lot on our prayer sheet, doesn't yet know Jesus, but reports back to the person who fed her name in and she was willing for us to pray. Uh, she reports back and saying, please keep praying because it's making such a difference. I can see all the answers to the things that I'm asking. And then um, neighbours of mine uh, some months ago, an ambulance turned up outside their house. They're not yet Christians. And I saw it. And so I sent a little text message saying, see the ambulance. You know, I'm here. Let me know if there's anything that I can do. They sent me a message back talking about how their little grandchild had fallen downstairs, hit their head. They're really worried. Ambulance was taking her to hospital to get her checked out. So I said, you know, thanks for letting me know. Just to say, praying for you. It's just a simple little text. Later on in the day, um, I was outside coming out of my car. They pulled up in their car with the granddaughter. I said, oh, fantastic. Uh, how, how is everything? She's fine. She's been given all the all clear. And then they said, that was your prayers. That was your God that answered that. You know, I didn't say anything more about praying, but to them there was this correlation. We were in a complete nightmare. Somebody prayed. And so that sparked different conversations uh, between me and them. But I think God does answer prayer. Mm. And I think we should be far more proactive in mm. saying, I'm praying for you, or how can we as a church pray for you? I think that's really important. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. So you want to move on? Yeah. Go for it. Well, let's take it to the sort of, let's say we've eliminated all of that thing, that this person is not asking because they're coming out of immediate suffering. I think that there's two strands that I would say that I think are not held universally by every Christian and there are different perspectives, but this is how I would do it. 
I think fundamentally that let's break it down into uh, two areas. One, why does one person have a good life and another person have a bad life? And then secondly, why does God not do anything when bad things happen? So if we try and yep. take this question down, because often it's one of those two questions. Yep. Here's a good person, they're tremendously suffering. That question is asked in the Bible and not answered mm -hmm. and deliberately not answered. Mm -hmm. And the answers that people try to give, the Bible dismisses. In other words, if we try to create a formula that says good people are healthier, good people are wealthier, good people suffer less, mm -hmm. and bad people suffer, and therefore the reason you, people suffer is because they're not as obedient or they haven't got as much faith as other people. That was an argument put forward in the book of Job and, and vehemently dismissed mm -hmm. by God in, in Job. It's an argument that Jesus counters. Mm -hmm. It's an argument that the Bible thoroughly says. And the phrase that's often used throughout in the Bible is the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Bad things happen in this world. There's a book called Ecclesiastes, which is a, a real uh, brilliant um, anger about this. Why are these good people suffering and the bad people doing well? And the answer isn't there. Mm -hmm. What the answer does come in Scripture is in heaven, after 10,000 years, after 20,000 years, the issue becomes less significant. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to explain this in these kind of talks before, and forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but this life feels very, very long. And when we are suffering, it feels hugely long. And toothache preoccupies you, and that day that you've got toothache or whatever it is, you can't think of anything else but your toothache. Mm -hmm. And that day is, is long. The night is so long if you can't sleep for any reason that you're in pain. That night is so, so long. Mm. But if you have the, the, the experience that your toothache gets solved, yeah. or whatever it is that's causing your pain, after two or three years, you don't really remember that night because you've had so many other nights since that were fine. Or at least you might remember it, but it's not hugely part of your consciousness. I believe this life is, is temporary and I believe that there is an eternal life for those who put their trust in Jesus. And that eternal life is, we talked about this the other week, didn't we? Is, is days of the best day where there's no sorrow, there's no pain, there's no injustice, there's no violence, there's no fear. It's all gone. And if I've lived say that I've had the worst of lives and I have 25 years of pain cut short and I only live to be 25. 
But in heaven, I have 50 good years, followed by another 50, followed by 500, followed by 5,000, followed by 50,000 years of joy. Then that 25 years is in perspective. Hasn't made it better, but it has put it in perspective. And I think that God has these two answers to why do some people suffer and others don't. The first is that to the people who suffer, there will be a time when it's put in perspective. And if this life was all there is, and there was no heaven, and there was no eternal life, I would be with all the atheists saying, God can't possibly allow suffering. I would say this world is grossly unfair, and I would be very angry with God. But when you consider this life in comparison to eternity, I think I can deal with it. And the second aspect is, which has become more important to me, is the concept of judgment and the concept that God will deal with what is wrong. And he will let people see the consequences of their cruelty and they won't be allowed into heaven unless they have said, have mercy on me, forgive me. And so sometimes when people say, why does God allow suffering? What they really want is, why doesn't God send a thunderbolt and strike down those people who are causing it? And the answer to that is, he is going to. It's called the day of judgment. He's just holding back the thunderbolt because he wants to give them a chance to turn around and be saved. But it will come. Mm -hmm. So that whole aspect for me is one part of the philosophical answer is heaven. Do you think in heaven there'll be the opportunity to chat with God? Because this God will be with us. Um, and do you think he'll be able to explain, I was there, this is what I was doing, you didn't see it, I was deeply and bitterly upset. Or do you think at that point of being in heaven, we won't have those questions anymore because actually we'll be so overcome with the experience of, Jesus, you are just awesome. Do you think there'll be the need to ask and answer those questions? I, I, don't, I genuinely don't know. I think if we wanted to ask them, I'm sure we could. But I think you could be right that they won't appear to be questions anymore. I don't know. The, I genuinely don't know. I know that we'll remember and be conscious of this life because we'll recognise people and, and we won't have forgotten it. Mm. Um, but I don't know that we'll... I know that if we want to ask, we will be, allowed, we'll be able mm. to, but I don't know whether that will be evident to us, the answers. I don't know. Mm. I'm sorry, I was just, you know... No, that's fine. I just don't know the Because I've got lots of questions I'd like the answers to. Well, keep a list. Exactly. I was thinking that. Me and God could have like a questions of life session in heaven where I could just ask him loads of questions. I'm sure he'd do better than me. Well, he won't keep shirking away whenever I ask about sex, will he? Got it in again. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> moving on. So, Okay, so moving on. The second big philosophical thing is, I think all Christians would agree what I've just said. Yep. I think the second philosophical thing is the concept of freedom. Mm-hmm. So my understanding is that ultimately everything that's wrong in the world is, the core, is caused by the freedom of humanity and the freedom of the spiritual world. And it's not God's intent. 
desire mm -hmm. and that God is angry about it and grieving and hurting, that is why there will be a day of judgment when he will put things right. Yeah. But the reason that God has created a system with freedom for me is that the most important experience of the universe is love mm -hmm. and that human beings need to be loved mm. and that love necessitates freedom otherwise it's not love that we all need to feel valued we need to feel that we belong we need to feel significant we need to feel appreciated and all of those things we are connected to the freedom of the individual to have a different opinion so I don't think God has created suffering. I think he's created love. But love creates the real potential for unlove, for hurt, for selfishness, for self-preservation, for all those kind of things. And that creates huge amounts of suffering. And that explains part of the world's suffering. It's, the hum it's humanity's freedom to choose to love God or not. It's some mm -hmm. um, humanity's freedom to choose to love our neighbor or mm -hmm. not. And one day God will, will say, I'm gonna, I, I will judge you for that freedom. Yeah. But in the meantime, we're still free to do that. The second aspect, which is a little bit more complex, is the concept that because we have chosen to, re to rebel against God, this world isn't heaven. And because this world isn't heaven, there needs to be a fence around this world to keep all the rubbish in this world mm -hmm. and to not let heaven become a repeat. So the way I understand it is, is if you like, death is that fence around this world. So we have the freedom to do what we want in this world. And if we acknowledge that and cry for God's mercy, he gives us the answer to our prayers, which is to be free from sin and selfishness, and he gives us heaven. But if we don't seek God's mercy and we don't consider we've done anything wrong, then there is a huge fence that doesn't allow us to do that in heaven, and that's mm. called death. Mm. Now, once you, I would say once humanity has created death, and this is my understanding of the story of Adam and Eve, that we created the, the, the need to death because we disobey God and so we, we've brought all this rubbish into the world. Once you create death, you have two choices. I think I probably said this in a live stream before. You have two choices if you're the maker of the universe. You make death predictable and certain. On your 80th birthday, you will die. or you make it unpredictable, so that every day and every minute you don't know if you will die. I can understand philosophically why God has chosen the random one. Because if I knew that I was gonna, I couldn't die until I was 80, the temptation to be mean, horrible, self-centered, for 79 years and spend a year on my knees, knees repenting would be so great for so much of humanity. And we would have a far, far worse world than we have now. 
But there's something about knowing that you and I can meet God tonight. That inspires lots of human beings to be better than they would be. It puts a break on us. But the problem with death being random is that there's going to be tragedies. People are going to die young. Which is why I go back to heaven, putting that right after 10,000, 20,000 years. So philosophically, and this is the, you know, I'm getting to this at the very end of my why do you God allow suffering? Why does God allow suffering? Because he gives us freedom. What is he going to do about it? He's created a place where there's no suffering. Why is it random? Because it had to be. Because if it was predictable, we'd be in a worse place. What part do you think the devil plays in? So I think the devil then plays a huge part because I think that the other aspect is that not only was humanity given free will, but they're in, and I don't understand all of this, and the Bible doesn't go into as much detail as most of us would like. But there is clearly a spiritual world that was also given freedom. Mm -hmm. And there are things, so I think the devil tempts humanity and I think the devil has created this broken world where death needed to be because he tempted Adam and Eve to, to eat of the fruit. In other words, it's the devil's ideas within us that, that create our rebellion against God. But I live a balanced life where I don't want to blame Satan for things that are my fault. And I don't want to be afraid of Satan for things that I know God can conquer. But there is, at the bottom line, the root of all evil, I think, is the demonic. It's not God. I do not think God can will or purpose anything that is unjust or evil or hurtful or damaging. He just can't do it. It's just not in his nature to do it. Therefore, all of that comes from humanity and the demonic. So do you think sometimes as a Christian we can feel as though we're being got at and we're suffering because of the devil? Yes. Yes, I think that... I think that the, one of the biggest temptations that the devil wants to create in a, in a Christian in a human, or a human being is to give up, yep. stop being effective for Christ, and to... To do that, he has a number of strategies. So one of them is, I will make you suffer so that you get angry with God. One of them is, to, I will make you suffer so that you're ineffective for God. Others are, I will make you sin so that you feel rubbish and you look a hypocrite. But the, the goal is always to stop people being part of bringing the kingdom of God in. Mm -hmm. So if all of us have been called by God to, to bring in God's kingdom in the area we live in, Satan's strategy is to make us ineffective in doing that and suffering is a way of doing that. Mm -hmm. Okay, we are moving towards the end of our time. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about in this whole area of um, talking to others about suffering? I don't think so. I just reiterate. Yep. Listen, listen, listen. Yep emphasize what God is doing about suffering and how he feels about suffering and what he wants to put right. 
then talk about heaven and the restoration and the restoring of things. And only if the person is really wanting a philosophical answer do you talk about freedom and the randomness of death and the freedom of the demonic. Alongside that, I would say pray, 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 pray. Pray, pray, pray. Keep absolutely. on praying uh, and be confidential. So because someone has shared something with you, they're trusting us. And that doesn't mean to say that we share it for prayer with our small group or with anyone else without mm. permission. Mm. And I'd be careful asking for permission to share it because they're going to think, why do you want to share this? It's just a little bit dodgy. We have to just hold people really tightly and closely and gently and not try and rock the boat and cause any more suffering or, or struggle for them at all. But pray, pray, pray. Thank you so much for explaining that. That was really helpful. That was really practical. Uh, really, really good. If anybody wants to come back to us with any questions at any point, then feel free to do so. Can we thank you guys for tuning in with us, uh, wherever you're watching or listening. It's been wonderful to have you with us.